Welcome back, you wonderful people who matter so very, very much. I'm W.S. Walker, and this is the Laughing Matters Podcast. A quick mention to any new listeners, and a reminder to any that have a few of the newer episodes under their belt but haven't done this yet. The podcast is based on a book that I spent 10 years writing because I found something. Something kind of huge. And bigger still when I saw what it was all connected to. It is easily the most important thing I have ever written and will ever write. And everything you hear on this show is in reference to the book, or is something that I learned by way of what I wrote about in the book. I recorded each chapter of the book, The Laughing Matters, as episodes, and there's 12 of them, and they make up all of season one. So before you go any further, check out the book. You know, you're not going to have any frame of reference for a lot of this stuff, and a lot of it's just going to, you know, right over your head. The preface episode, the very first one, which you may or may not catch me pronouncing as preface, because I went half my life without knowing that P-R-E-F-A-C-E in writing and preface were the same word. But anyways, that one can be skipped or, you know, replaced with a short summary. That way we can get you hooked on the book quicker. It is a shame, though, because you're going to miss out on an anecdote that I tell to explain a necessary practice for reading the book the way it needs to be read. And you'll also miss out on a a pretty good Bruce Lee impression. I picked his voice for the monk because Bruce was very fond of telling the story of the Western philosopher that seeks out the Eastern philosopher. And I tell the story in the book because... I say a lot of things that you'll probably already have some kind of baseline in your brain for. I mean, you've lived a life. You've learned a life. And as such, the human brain tends to slice and dice new information so that it can categorize things that fit and things that jeopardize the the beliefs that the brain has formed from said life living or jettison the whole lot of it. The brain gets lazy like that as we get older. We tend to question currently held beliefs less and less. So we take the pieces from this new information that we can easily mentally file away in each of our you know, already existing mental folders as support for the beliefs and understandings that each folder represents. And the rest of it, we jettison. Now, true... If something is truly profound, earth-shaking truth, a lot of times it leaves a residue, and it stains, like a cup of coffee spilt across the folders and the files. So in the preface episode, I basically ask you to create new folders for what I'm telling you about in the book, asking you to file this information away whole, because it's not all going to make sense until you have the whole thing. And I need you not to jettison some of it before you understand why it's true. If you finish the book and you still have pieces of it that you don't agree with, that's perfectly fine. You are welcome to disagree with it. For the record, I don't think you will, but if you do disagree with it, please be vocal to me about it. You're going to see things in it that I'd never be able to see on my own because I'm not working with your file cabinet. 
you'll think of questions to ask that I never would have thought to ask. And on the flip side, I'm going to have some answers for your questions that you likely would have never considered. So it's win-win, you know? Bring what you got. Let's see what you got. Bring what you got to the table. This definitely is a proactive, contributive process. So what you got? So yeah, the preface covers that. It touches on how, when I talk about my belief that there's a God, I'm referring to a sentient creative force that intentionally created us and is far more complex than us, and that's all I'm narrowing the definition down to. I use the terms God and He because my childhood was spent in a Catholic environment, which is where I first learned about that creating being. But when I say these names, God and He, I say them with a definition that applies to any religious belief or sect or faith or understanding without getting itself too shredded in the filing process. Also in the preface, I address that I'm a science and physics nerd. My late 20s were spent studying to become a science teacher and a physics professor eventually, out of my love of shaping minds and my adoration for what we've learned about our physical existence. I'd like to get that out up front because I believe there's a creating force and there seems to be this prevailing stigma of science versus a belief in a creator. That either science is right or the believers are right. Just so you guys know, this is a myth. This doesn't actually exist in the scientific community. In the preface, I lay out a bunch of quotes and support from several representatives of the fields on natural, formal, and social sciences. The majority of people either in or teaching these fields that I've met believe that there is something that's out there. But I have noticed that they do tend to disagree with accepting everything that a group believes without evidence in order to be part of that group. Which makes sense. I mean, these are people that spend all of their time working in a very precise environment and system that has it down to the 100th of a percentile, whether or not a result counts as evidence of a theory. Your theory has evidence that supports it, or it doesn't get to play. Of course, they'd have issues with backing religions. But a belief in something? To see the patterns emerge over and over again? And see how mind-blowingly incredible the naturally occurring patterns that form systems with specific purposes are? And how intricately they interlock to allow for life to thrive in our universe? Yeah. There's a lot of them on board with that. But these days, there seems to be this underlying tone that belief is owned by the religions. You either throw in with their specific beliefs, or your own beliefs lack credibility. And I want you to know that this is not the case. But let me be clear. If you are religious and you believe everything that your religion has taught you, that is completely awesome. 
I'm glad you found a community that mirrors your beliefs so long as they are your beliefs. If you are part of a religion and only stayed because you believe in God, however you have come to believe in that creative force and don't have much in common with that religion outside of that, just kind of going through the motions, I encourage you to seek God out elsewhere. I encourage you to look around you at the rest of it and seek God out. If God made everything, well, then he would be there too. If those are not your beliefs, then why are you trying to make them so? Just because you believe something different doesn't mean you are wrong, and it doesn't mean that they are wrong. Humans have been around a long time now, and we were all over the earth. I figure that if God had interactions with any of us, he probably interacted with more than one person and said different things each time in different regions. In other words, if one religion has had some kind of interactions with God, I think it's probably likely that most of them have. Religions are based primarily around the history of people's encounters with God or gods or the people who spoke on God's behalf, right? They're a snapshot of our past with God and then mankind pontificating on what it learned from it. I figure that there's probably more than one true story out there, so I learn what I can from the stories told about them and I look for the common threads. Because if God repeats himself, it's probably a good idea to take note of what he said. So yeah, feel free to start at chapter one if you want to dive right in, and we'll be right here waiting for you when you get back. But I cannot recommend going forward from here, because the next thing I wanted to talk about was a little something I noticed about our subconscious recognition of the breaking laugh. It occurred to me while watching a rather brilliant piece of television put out by Disney and Marvel Comics. I'm talking, of course, about WandaVision. The series takes place in the Avengers universe just after Endgame, and Wanda Maximoff, aka the Scarlet Witch, is dealing with the loss of the love of her life, Vision who's an android that was brought to life through a fusion of Tony Stark's artificial intelligence Jarvis and one of the Infinity Stones, the Mind Stone. Now, this series was creative and excellent and touched all the right notes. All of that has very little bearing on what I noticed and what I wanted to talk to you about today, but I did want to note that I thought it was a pretty great watch. Any who... This scene takes place in a flashback, where Wanda's watching a scene from the 90s sitcom Malcolm in the Middle, a scene in which Hal, the dad, is installing a new roof. He just built the frame of it, he steps back to admire his work so far, and the whole thing just falls down on top of him. Vision, an android who's still learning the nuances and reasons behind human behavior, watches the show beside her. 
It is funny because of the grievous injury the manager suffered. No, he's not really injured. Ah. How can you be certain? It's not that kind of show. Have you ever watched or read a work of fiction that has a character, usually an alien or a robot or some intelligent animal, that's trying to understand humor, having seen it for the first time? At some point, most of them ask that same question. They point it out to us, not really to be funny, but because it seems to be true. And the funny thing about that is as works of fiction, their dialogue is written by other human beings. Human beings telling stories to human beings and offering up this truth that's hidden in a place that is very hard to look directly at. Like trying to push together two negative ends of two rectangle magnets and line them up perfectly. It feels like something that wants to stay hidden. There is this part of us that knows what the breaking laugh is, in so much as you can know something you never really looked directly at. And when a fictional character learns about the concept of funny for the first time, we chuckle a bit as the subconscious way of acknowledging it as true, true. All right, so let's change the subject and moving right along. <laughs> We've known it for a long time, but it's hard to look at. Have a think about this. What is the demeanor of someone who is teaching someone about laughter when the learning character asks questions about humor? Most times that I can remember, the teaching character seemed to be a bit embarrassed or off-put by the question, if not totally derailed. Because deep down we do know, there's a part of us that has never stopped knowing what it is that we are doing to ourselves with the breaking laugh, and that it's not okay. Just like there's a part of you that relaxes and nestles in when we genuine laugh. Anyways, just something I was thinking about. Also, that WandaVision scene that I played has an absolutely stunning observation that Vision makes about grief that I wanted to pass along. Me, I am a sucker for writing that can put a very big idea summarily into only a few words. Like C.S. Lewis's, the pain I feel now is the happiness I had before. That's the deal. So concise. And the Marvel writers did not disappoint. Listen. But what is grief? If not love, persevering. So good. So I propose a toast. To love's persevering. Love endures if you give it a home. So be good to them. Be good for them. And you're going to be fantastic. Fantastic.
This is W.S. Walker signing off. Be sweet and bye everybody.